Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is what we call a three technique. This is what we call a three technique. On the ride with Royster. Winfield trying to become the 19th man to accumulate 3,000 hits. The first man to do it for his hometown team. Kind of a little bouncer, uh, September 16th, 1993 at the Metrodome. A fairly loud-sounding crowd. It wasn't that large, I don't re- recall, but it was maybe 20-some thousand as uh, David Winfield closed in on his uh, 3,000th hit. Remember the pitcher for the Oakland A's? Come on. Was it Eck? Dennis Eckers. Yeah. 3,000th uh, hit. And uh, Molly uh, had come back to the Twins in 93, he was uh, 40 years old when he got that hit, or 41, excuse me, when he got that hit. And uh, he uh, was a, uh, he got traded to Cleveland during the baseballs, during the strike. And the season never resumed, right, mm. that year. So uh, he, he, didn't, did pl- he did play in Cleveland for a while in, uh, in uh, 1995. He played them. There, he was a 12-time All-Star, a 7-time Gold Glove winner, a 6-time Silver Slugger winner, and these Padres have retired Dave Winfield's number. I can't remember when he must have went. He, he I went think he went in as a Padre. I thought he went in as a Padre, didn't he? I th- oh, that's right. There was a big controversy because they gave him a job, right? And uh, was that not the reason that they started saying they select who the cap is going to go that, oh, that part was I, Wade Boggs that was Wade That Boggs. part I don't remember but I do know that in the uh in the little walkway behind at at Petco not Pet, yeah Petco Park in San mm-hmm. Diego they've got Winnie like a a giant version of Winnie's plaque back there which is uh, really cool. Yes and I think he is a he, he went in as a Padre but uh St. Paul Central 1969 Hall of Famer first time around 2001 first uh, time inductee and never played uh, in the minors right? Uh, never played in the minors. No, they signed him. <laughs> and uh, I remember, you know, he had the swing, the long yep. swing with the hitch. And I remember asking, I think it was Ralph Rowe, the old Twins pitching hitting coach, and I said, how come he can hit with that hitch? He says, that's how good he is. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great answer. <laughs> he says, that's how good he is. He said, he, uh, everything we try to teach a hitter, he doesn't have to do because that's, Cause how, that's good how good he is. Yep. To right center field. Myers and Nunley chase it. Myers, the ball drops. Molitor has his 3,000th hit, and he's chugging for third. And he's in with a triple. Paul Molitor 
becomes the 21st member of baseball's 3,000 hit club. The connections between these guys are amazing. Yes. Uh, they just told us Dave Winfield was the first player to ever get his 3,000th hit for his hometown team. <laughs> Paul Molitor got his 3,000th hit for his hometown team. How about that uh, soundbite, by the way? You heard the fireworks go off. He got that hit in Kansas City. Yes, he did. Kaufman, uh, yeah. I didn't realize it did. That's really cool. I never knew that about that, that they celebrated it that, to, uh, to that extent. That's in, really cool. In uh, 1996, he came back here. He was 40 years old. He got 225 hits. <laughs> Uh, he drove in 100, 100 or more runs. Drove in 113 runs, runs, I think. 113 runs. <laughs> and I've always said, yep. if Puck hadn't gone blind with Molitor and Knobloch hitting in front of him, because Knobloch had 240 yeah. hits or something, uh, they would have... Uh, uh, how many ribbies? Would have knocked in 150. And then Cordova was the was the four yeah. hitter, wasn't he? Yes, yeah, he like 100 in runs. 100 runs. Yeah. But uh, Puck was killing the ball that spring too. Yeah, he yeah. was actually in fairly good shape, and he was killing the ball. But Paul Molitor, uh, the uh, Twins manager. Now it'll be interesting. The Twins are in Boston, July 29th. Will Molly? Get the Ooh. day off to come to Cooperstown to welcome Jack Morris into the group, mm. or will he stay and manage? Uh, knowing him, he probably will say, "This is my ball club, and I have to stay and manage." But the Twins might say, "No, you go to Boston, you go to Cooperstown, and uh, we'll uh, try to figure were, this one out." Pat, were you, you were you there on his last day playing with the Twins? Because I remember it was in Cleveland, and I'll never forget. No, I don't the, think so. Because I'll never forget this. It was either the very last game or second to last game, but it was the last week, and everybody knew he was going to be done. And I remember him grounding a ball to either third or short, and him diving in head first. I thought, "Oh my God, this is a Hall of Fame guy in the twilight." He's and he's still hustling. I, I just had so much respect for him as a player. One of the great things, I remember seeing him as a kid in Sun City, Arizona, when they weren't sure when the Twins stopped there to play the Brewers, and I was still covering the team uh, full-time. And he wasn't going to make the club, but okay. then Yount got hurt. But this was his first spring training. And I, I just remember, I can't remember who the Twins pitcher was, but I remember somebody, he was the first hitter of the game. Somebody threw him a first pitch pass, fastball, and he hit a rocket. <laughs> and he was so quick. And I said, wow. And, uh, it, it, you know, for right until the end, you couldn't throw a first pitch fastball no, pass. No, because he was ready to hit. And he was smart enough, Paul, later in his career, he, he shortened everything. He went wide in his stance, and, you know, he didn't, he took all the movement out, except basically for his upper body, and... Uh, and he uh, got much quicker, and that's how he managed to keep hitting until he was 42. Plus, at age 40, best base runner I've ever seen. Yep. Now, what year was it that he had the long hitting streak? Because then 87. It was like it was 87. It was like 40 games or something, yeah, wasn't 30, it? 39. 39, 39, 39 games. Yeah, yeah. And then I remember him being on this nightly news and stuff like that because yeah. he was such a good hitter. People were taking it seriously. And here he is from Highland Park, hmm. suburb of St. Paul, Jack Morris. Into the 10th inning we go. Jack Morris still pitching. He gets his eighth strikeout. Shortstop, Leis. Atlanta has him scored in 10 innings against Jack Morris. Uh, well, I think that's kind of a game we remember him for, isn't it? Uh, that one. Uh, I would say so. It was, uh, <laughs> it was unbelievable, and uh, what, a, what a horse. And, of course, the legend is uh, 
uh, Kelly came over and said, that's enough there, Jack. You did great. And Jack said, no, that ain't enough. And uh, Dick Such came over and Kelly looked at Dick Such and he said, is he good? And Such says, yeah, he's good. So they sent him out for the 10th inning. I love the, well, it's just a game. Yeah. <laughs> God, it's just, I love it's that just a game. Uh, Jack Morris uh, in the Hall of Fame today, completing the amazing St. Paul Triangle, as I call it. Highland Park, uh, Paul Molitor, and uh, and Dave Winfield down in the Midway area, uh, not the Midway area, but over uh, over by uh, Oxford Playground in that area. Uh, three guys, all of them basically contemporaries, going in the Hall of Fame. And there's another uh, great St. Paul player, a very famous guy born in St. Paul that you guys don't remember. Uh, see, we teach sports here. That's right. Mm-hmm. Chick Gandel. Remember what Chick Gandel was famous no, for? Uh-uh. He was one of the Black Sox. Really? He was one of the guys who threw the World Series. Atta boy. We've got that going for us. All right. St. Paul's Chick Gandel. He lived here until age 12. Not only was Chick one of the guys, he basically was one of the guys that convinced everybody else. He was the guy. He was to convince everybody else to take the bribes. So the bribes. So we got him. He at least deserves a plaque somewhere. (laughs) That's right. Of a dollar bill. That's right. All right. We'll be back. Ride with Roycey. I don't want to go much further, but right. you've gone far enough. <laughs> On 1500 ESPN. Talking purple right now on the ride with Roycey. Ben Gessling covers the Vikings. Here with Ben Gessling. Ben the Gessling trying to now. It's Viking Star Tribune beat writer Ben Gessling. Ben Gessling is with us, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. Way too much angst among the fa- faithful about this uh, loss to a uh, very good defensive team uh, down in Carolina. After you just went through a five-game stretch against uh, worthy opponents and going 4-1, and one, there should be a parade instead of all this angst. Wow, you are uh, the voice of reason today. Yes, Try that I- on for size, huh? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I mean, I am, I am the voice of reason. It's uh, you, you, you're going to run through these five games. Come on, what do you expect, folks? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, they were they were probably due to lose one here at some point, and they. I mean, we all talked about this being the toughest stretch of the schedule, and, and they did a remarkably good job with it. And even yesterday, that's a game that they very easily could have won, which yes. I suppose is probably where some of the angst comes in, but. I mean, you look at it, that's a team that was in the Super Bowl two years ago, took a step back last year, and then is very much in the mix for the NFC South title, which might be one of the best divisions in the NFL right now. So losing to them on the road is not an indicator that everything is coming apart. I mean, you look at the big plays they gave up, you look at the dropped passes, you look at the turnovers, all of these things are not things they've done this season. And if they get rid of those, if if this was only a one-game issue, then they fine. It's not a big deal. So I was just talking to Jack Morris, and I always said Jack was the greatest winner I've ever seen. He was just Mr. Charm after a win and just grumpier than hell after a loss. Zimmer might be the runner-up. He is a uh, he is Kurt after defeat. He does not take them well. I heard your uh, attempt to question him today about Riley Reef. It's, uh, it's always interesting for you fellas after defeat to see what uh, mood he's going to be in. Yeah, you know, it'd been a little while. It'd been getting a little <laughs> dull around here. You know, he's been in a good mood. 
you know, we kind of ask him questions and he answers them, and you don't really have to be on your toes. I mean, you know, it's kind of kind of nice to mix it up every once in a yeah, while. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, with the, the Reef thing, I mean, you know, he, he obviously Riley Reef goes out of the game yesterday with with the ankle injury, and, and it my, didn't my look Twitter, good. On, uh, it didn't look good on on tape. That's for sure. It did not. I mean, he got bent over Julius Peppers, and you know, initially you thought it might be a back injury after he had the back problems in, in training camp in the preseason. But you know, people are asking all morning on Twitter, "Hey, what have you heard on Riley Reef?" It's like, well, we got to ask the question, Mike. That's that's part of the job. He doesn't have to answer it, but oh. uh, you know, it, it doesn't sound like it was. I mean, he, the one thing he did say is that it's not as bad as Reef thought it was going to be. So. Take it from that what you want. I would guess it's probably a sprain. I was I was given permission uh, by the head coach to call it whatever I want. So, uh, <laughs> that's what we'll go with, I guess. So and uh, let's face it, that's the one thing that can screw up this operation. If you uh, you know, if Elfline is not just a little bum, dinged up shoulder, and uh, if uh, you know, if if they end up with three injuries on the offensive line again, then then you got issues. No question, and that. You know, for all of the things that happened last year, that was the the underwriting theme, and that has been the theme to this going so well this year is that they have been healthy and they have been effective on the line. And if that stops, then you have a problem because they are are no different than any team in the NFL. Offensive line play is not good around the league, and, and there isn't a lot of depth to go around. I mean, the Vikings actually have a little bit of it with Rashad Hill, who stepped in capably, and Jeremiah Searles, who could play a lot of different positions. But if you have those two guys as your tackles and they're dealing with speed rushers, especially if one of those guys has to be your left tackle, then you're going to have problems. So, I mean, Riley Reef's ankle is issue number one for this team right now, and it is going to be until they see him back on the field because if they don't have him healthy, they are going to have trouble going forward uh and let's you know what we did see a vivid example of the difference between playing left tackle and right tackle yesterday because Rashad Hill had been playing over on the right now maybe the teams weren't quite as good defensively as this team but he had been surviving just fine over there playing the right now you put him at left tackle and uh the it's a whole new ball game yeah it is I mean and you got you know you have a few things there too that you know you have a, a left guard that had to move out to right tackles when you had a rookie stepping in at left guard. So, you know, you're going to get blitz there and, and who's taking whom on a blitz and, and a pass off and all that kind of stuff is going to be tough to, to get on the, on the fly, you know, no matter who it is. But yeah, I mean, if you're on the left side, you have to be faster. You have to be able to have enough reach to deal with speed rushers. If you're not fast enough to be able to match them step for step in your sets, which a lot of tackles aren't as good as these speed rushers are these days. So, on the right side, it's more about being able to play a power game. There's run blocking is a bigger deal on that side of things. On the left side, it's about can you keep your quarterback upright, and that's why those guys make as much money as they do, and that's why they're so hard to find. So expecting them to just be able to replace their left tackle and not miss a beat is not a reasonable expectation. Okay, uh, this might come as a surprise to you, but I hate pandering to Viking fans. But uh, but if that's not a touchdown by Adam Thielen, what the hell are we doing here? I mean, come on. For, you know, the running back, Stewart, jumps over, holds the ball out here for about an eighth of a second, and it's a touchdown. Thielen basically makes love to the football, and it pops out five minutes later. 
and it's not a touchdown. What? Get their act together here. Come on. Uh, I, I, start I'm calling these things. What's a, if I possess a football in the end zone, it's a touchdown. Well, and and you you make a perfect point with the Jonathan Stewart thing. I mean, that that is the big fallacy in this rule is yes. that if you started the the play with the ball on a handoff. I mean, obviously it's easier to take it on a handoff than mm-hmm. it is to catch it. But yeah, if you're, if you're over the line for a split second, it's okay. Plays over touchdown. Yeah. No questions asked. And the, the I mean, the, the, my biggest issue with that rule is, and I think it's, it's, I'm certainly not the first to say it, but it doesn't pass the eyeball. Test. No. The ball never hit the ground. He had it in his hand. I don't really care if it moves. It didn't hit the ground. Nine guys out of ten in a bar would say it's a catch. Just call it a catch. Simplify things and let's stop making this something that has to occupy the you know page and a half in the rule book to and, define what a catch and is. And if it's in the middle of the field, it's a catch, right? If it's a, it's a catch if it's in the middle yeah. of the field because it, yeah, it'll stay on his chest, right? So yep. I mean, it's it's a, it's a catch. I I don't yeah, get it. Just, They've made it too complicated. And then there's a lot of things in the NFL rule book that probably should be pared down and simplified. And that, I think, would be at the top of the list. I mean, that, that rule has caused a lot of consternation in the NFC North uh, over the last few years, both, well, first in Detroit and a couple times in Detroit. And then I suppose it benefited the Packers, so it probably caused Vikings fans to be upset uh, back with the Des Bryant play. And then it gets the Vikings yesterday. So it's, yeah, they need to, they need to, simplify that thing they've tried to clarify it a couple times and it just keeps causing more issues it just stopped making it such a big deal uh so uh, i grew up in an era where the the uh the real edgy thing uh, you would say was uh uh they faked him out of his jock uh, did andrew sandeo get a new jock today i think he needs one well, after after the, uh, the Cam Newton <laughs> Cam. play boy that's one of the worst i've ever seen for a six foot five 260 pound guy faking you out. Wow. That, now, I don't, I wouldn't blame anybody for not wanting to hit him, but that wasn't right. Sandeo's problem. It was, he, uh, he definitely went for the deke. Yeah, he did. And I, I would not say that anybody who, well, I think anybody who's watched Anderson Deho would probably no. agree with this. I would not say form tackling is <laughs> something he excels at. He, he's a guy that likes to hit more than tackle he doesn't he doesn't necessarily go for a wrap-up and he he can lay people out he makes a lot of plays coming downhill but that is one of the things you get with him is that he does like to kind of dive and and try to to knock people down and it's not a lot of okay i'm going to try to to read where you're going and and match you step for step and wrap up and take you down and maybe he wouldn't have been able to take cam newton down anyway but he certainly probably would have slowed him down before he got 60 yards downfield or 62 yards downfield, I guess it was. And yeah, I mean, Everson Griffin bet on the play. It was a it was a classic zone read where the backside end crashed and you keep the ball. But the thing that really turned that into a big play was Anderson Dejo trying to make a diamond tackle instead of staying with him and, and trying to slow him down at least or wrap him up. Uh, you know, uh, the wise old Al, your partner, Mark Craig, had a great description of uh, Jonathan, how Jonathan Stewart's long run came about. And I'm reading that and saying the Panthers, now they got a quarterback that's like there's never been a quarterback. Dante Culpepper is the closest thing as far as size is concerned. Sure. Uh, but uh, they're really an old-fashioned football team, aren't they? I mean, they, I could be watching the Chicago Bears in the mid-60s here. Uh, just, uh, you know, try to smash you. And, yeah, uh, there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 
they ran for 200 yards yesterday across three different running backs. I mean, they're, they're running back Christian McCaffrey. I mean, catch the ball a lot of the backfield yeah. and they've got the power guy. I mean, and then the, the, the quarterback certainly adds a different dimension when he's six foot five and is as big as some of the guys that are trying to tackle him, if not bigger. So, I mean, you have a little bit of that, you know, almost like the Packers did in the sixties where they had the power back and the guy who would catch the ball out of the backfield and, you know, Paul Horning, that type of thing. Yeah. And then you have a, a quarterback who adds a different element to it as well. But yeah, that, that first touchdown, as Mark talked about in his, in his piece today, they had, I think, four offensive linemen over there. They moved <laughs> yeah, Matt Khalil right. over. They had an unbalanced formation. They had a, an extra tackle in on the play, and then they pulled the, the left guard over as well. So it was just basically, we're going to overpower you, and, and the Vikings still in that probably overpursued things, and, and Mike Zimmer wasn't terribly happy with the way they filled that play. But when you have that kind of size over there, it's, it's for a reason, and it worked. How was the? Uh, how were the reviews on the much ridiculed uh, Matt Khalil uh, in general yesterday? You know, I I don't think he had a lot of you know cringe-inducing moments. I mm-hmm. guess, or certainly not the ones <laughs> that the Vikings would have you know like to give kind of him, been right? used to. Exactly. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of that. I, I mean, I think Emerson Griffin had one sack, and I feel like that Khalil got a, had one penalty, if I'm not mistaken. But it, it was certainly not the kind of thing where you felt like he was a liability certainly i mean you know some of the talk last week from fans and there was a little bit of that around winter park just you talking to different people that kind of would let on we're, we're pretty excited to face him but overall i thought he was not the glaring liability for them that that viking fans are probably hoping he was okay one last question I, I just saw your piece on carson wentz's injury doesn't guarantee home field uh what if vikings and eagles are both 13 to 3 does it depend 13 and 3 uh does it depend on who the eagles lose to whether you're home or not or what well no uh because that would assume so they would end up losing one more game and the vikings would win out that would give both of those teams two losses in the NFC. I mean, it, it could give them less than that if the Eagles lost to the Raiders. But assuming they both have two losses in the NFC, they're tied there, then it goes to common opponents. The Vikings cannot win that tiebreaker okay. now because the Eagles are undefeated against their common opponents. They don't have any more games against common opponents. The Vikings lost to the Panthers, so even if they beat the Bears, they'd be 4-1. and one. I think the Eagles would be 5-0 and oh or 4-0. and oh. I, I can't remember exactly which it is, but the Eagles will be undefeated against those. So the only way now the Vikings can end up with home field is to have a better record than the Eagles or a better conference record. So you're rooting if you're rooting for the Eagles to lose, you're rooting for them to lose in the NFC. But the odds of the Vikings overtaking them, even without Carson Wentz, I still think are fairly slim. All right, Mr. Negative. We'll uh, talk to you next week. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good, Mr. Sunshine. Okay, uh, Ben Gessling uh, does a fine job as – one of the key uh, cogs in the in the Star Tribune's three-man juggernaut of Viking writers, uh, the great Andrew Kramer and the wise old owl Mark Craig and Ben Gessling. Hey, Johnny Hyde, did you see the White Sox have hired A.J. Pruszynski as no. an ambassador? <laughs> I did Come on. I said I thought I saw a headline where he was going to be an ambassador. I thought maybe we were sending him to Syria or <laughs> something, but he's uh, he's, oh, uh, Pat, he's going for the White Sox. You ambassador missed, wow. to the public. You missed a great line, though. 
Nobody takes out the ambassador of ambassador. Wait, no, that wouldn't work. I'm trying to think how to use the word AS. I think it's a great choice for Chicago. Kind of brusque. And, uh, yeah, he has the south side. You yeah. know, those drunks that come out there with tattoos. Yeah, he'll try be able to handle up umpires them. and yeah, stuff. He'll do whatever. When you players on your team, you hate them a little less. Mm. God, yeah. that's such yeah. a great song. Yeah. Anybody who can take somebody who's mad and make them even more oh, mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. I got to respect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good gift. Yeah, no, he wouldn't no talk. Talked to me at the one of the World Series until I finally gave him too much crap because he was mad at CJ. Well, oh. I said, "What the bleep do I have to do with CJ? Just answer the question." Yeah, <laughs> what a beauty. But CJ Nikowski? Ah, uh, no, CJ, CJ. Ah, but uh, he actually what a warrior, though, man. He caught he caught more than a thousand innings, eleven straight seasons, I think, or twelve straight seasons. Chris, it it wasn't funny. Ken, I know. Kenny's right. Okay, okay I know. The Natowski joke wasn't no, no, I was no. just trying to make yeah. okay, mm-hmm. this update sponsored by Office Depot. Sometimes Office you Max. fail, Chris, but only 60-70% of the time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. Keep trying. Keep trying. Johnny Height, what do you got? Uh, this brought to you by Office Depot Office Max. You've had a big year, so treat yourself to great deals on tech and furniture at Office Depot Office Max. You deserve it. Office Depot Office Max taking care of business. You know, if I was a Major League Baseball hitter failing 60 to 70% yeah. of the time, I'd be an all-star. Yeah, you would be an all-star. That's right. You'd be an all of it. Vikings coach Mike Zimmer talking with reporters today. Uh, he was asked uh, if quarterback Case Keenum is his starter still or, or, oh, if, he's, or if he's still on a God week. God bless the person that asked that. Or if he's still on a week-to-week basis. Wait, I, you guys keep asking me this. And <laughs> I've never said, I never said Sam Bradford's our starter for the season. I never said Joe Berger's our starter for the season. I've never said um, Pat Elfline's our starter for the season, so I'm not going to say it. Yeah. Clear enough? Clear enough? Is it clear enough? I, I would I already say... I said that, didn't I? Well, thank you. Well, now we've clarified it. <laughs> I would say oh. he was prickly today, wouldn't you? Yes. Wow. Yes, I would I'd say. He's, I've, I've upgraded him from Kurt to prickly. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to have to get a press pass. I want to see this stuff in person. Is that because he's also a bad loser? He, yeah, I think so. He yeah. was better when he had the patch on his eye, though. I liked him better then. He looked like a pirate. <laughs> looked like an ornery pirate. You guys have any idea who asked the question? It <laughs> I, wasn't Judd, was it? It no. was not. Okay. I'll listen to it in queue again, because you can hear whoever it was. Yeah, at the it was a voice I didn't recognize, okay. but uh, I like the. He sounded like a teacher with the. Yes. Clear enough. Yes. Clear, Clear enough. enough. Okay. That's fantastic. Okay. Vikes play the Bengals Sunday at U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, Gophers, we found out about two uh, gigantic linemen they signed uh, right uh, over the weekend. Well, yes. Another one today now. A fellow by the name of Jason Dixon is given a commitment to the U. He's a, the Juco. He's yep, six foot seven, two hundred ninety-five pound offensive tackle from Diablo Valley College in Pleasant Hills, California. Uh, I just like they the saw those college. big brutes from Wisconsin and decided they better get some big boys up there. So I think we'll see. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. The wild. Well, well, the question now is, can they listen to that crap for more than a couple of years <laughs> before they bail out? The Wild signed uh, Ivan or Ivan Lodnia today. Their third yeah, round what, pick. What is that about? Is he? What are we going to do with him, Johnny? Uh, he's know? he's a young kid. He's only eighteen. Yeah. He was. Are we going to send him to Iowa or what are we uh, going to? Yeah, do? he'll play uh, the Wild. Uh, yes, they're sending him to Iowa. He's a forward. He has sixteen goals and seventeen assists uh, mm-hmm. for Erie of the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, the Wild play Calgary tomorrow night at the Excel Energy. How Center. old is right. he? He's 18. eighteen, but he's not coming to the big league no, no. right away. No, yeah, we're going to send no. him down. All right, Johnny, thank you. You bet.
sitting shotgun on the ride with Royce. I'm not that good a driver. <laughs> I'm old. On 1500 ESPN. The ride with Royce now continues. Personal file, 69, offense. He's giving them the business. It's time for late hits. There it is. Uh, Tracy Stallard was on the mound when Roger Maris hit that home run in uh, at the end of the 1961 season. Uh, and they're talking about a $5,000 giveaway contest. What the hell was that? You needed, was that, that, was he, w- you needed that to draw people or something? Or I, was I, it, do you think that that was what he would get in return for the ball? Oh, oh, okay. You know maybe, maybe the Yankees yeah. had offered that was Red 5, Barber 000. on the call. That was Red Barber. He yeah. seemed a little fixated on the five thousand <laughs> instead of the fact that he had broken uh, Babe Ruth's record by giving the home run off Tracy Stallard. Uh, by the way, you know, you remember that there was so much pressure and so much love for the legacy of Babe Ruth that they put an asterisk against the home run because it happened after 154 games mm-hmm. uh, for a few years. They had an asterisk in there yep. because of uh, Roger Maris. Uh, nobody was rooting for him. But Tracy Stallard is why I brought this up today. He died uh, in Coburn, Virginia. He was 80 years old. And before he ever gave up this home run, I knew him as a Minneapolis Miller. He uh, pitched for the Millers, and we were a Red Sox farm club. I was a big Millers fan. We'd come up here once in a while and see the Millers. And uh, he was uh, pitched for the Minneapolis Millers in 1959, was 2-5, but he had a 225 ERA. In 1960, when they had a a very good team, uh, he was 7-11 with a 351 ERA. Tracy Stallard. Uh, then he ended up going to the Red Sox in 1961 and was on the mound for Maris's home run. Has died at age 80. Uh, really quick, five thousand dollars in 1961. I just did the calculation. Would be about forty thousand dollars today. Forty thousand five hundred dollars. Well, I don't think you could sell it for. I think you'd get more than forty now. Yeah, you? he probably would. Yep. Another death. This one hits a lot closer to home for those of us who worked at the Star Tribune. The great Bud Armstrong uh, has died at age 79. Star Tribune uh, makeup editor uh, for in sports. I go back to 1965 with him. I was a copy boy, and uh, Bud was hired. Uh, young guy hired, brought in, uh, and I wrote a column on him on it when he retired in uh, 2009. And uh, he Sid hired him. Sid was the sports editor. Hired him in 1965. And there were all kinds of candidates for this job, but the Sid hired Bud because he wanted to be a desk guy. He wanted to work inside. He didn't want to cover games, and that's what Sid was looking for. He was a great one. And somebody reminded me of when I switched, you know, I had been a copy boy, and Mm -hmm. Bud would say, go do this, and you went and did it, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, somebody uh, tweeted this. uh, Jim Walsh tweeted out this memory. When I switched papers in uh, June of uh, 1988, uh, it, there was some attention given to it, and, and there was a TV crew in the Star Tribune newsroom the first day I was there, and Bud saw me wander in and said, Hey, Patrick, could you go sharpen this pencil for me? <laughs> <laughs> the old copy boy 
But he was the greatest. Uh, we talked about him a little earlier, Such and I. Uh, if you uh, want to hear that uh, on the podcast, what, what, the what, three o'clock hour. You read books? Is that you read? Well, Bob Sorensen was the books editor. Okay, and he was also the makeup editor. But later, he became the books editor. He was the greatest guy that ever lived. And he and Bud were the became the best of friends. And they both read books. But when Sid said, "But it was Bob Sorensen who was sitting there eating his apple and his sandwich." <laughs> And taking his lunch break, and he with his foot up on the feet up on the desk, uh, writing, reading a paperback as he, uh, as he always did. And Sid says, "You read books?" <laughs> <laughs> Alarmed, shocked. What are you doing? Shocked, anybody? But uh, Bob was. Uh, these guys were fantastic to me because I wasn't old enough to drink. But I went to the court bar with them. And All right, yes, served, absolutely. Star Tribune guys. So, uh, so they were uh, fantastic guys, and Bud Armstrong uh, uh, became uh, befriended all the copy desk guys that came along. Young guys, he used to have them out for dinner. He was quite the gourmand. Uh, he would either cook or get them to go to some restaurant with him, and uh, got 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 close to my uh, my uh, youngest son when he worked at the Star Tribune too. So it's a, it's a kick in the shins for all of us who knew Bud. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, remember when John Higgins, the referee got all the abuse from the Kentucky fans last year? Vaguely, uh, vaguely. Yeah, the referee. Well, he has filed a suit in U.S. District Court in Nebraska, uh, against, uh, guys from a Kentucky sports radio, uh, Matt Jones and Drew Franklin. Uh, Jones and Franklin, uh, basically, Got everybody all fired up on their on their sports talk show, and I remember they were he was they were all tweeting out uh, his 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 private phone numbers. What and, and I remember hurting, this, yeah, hurting, hurting his business. Uh, that was after Kentucky's lost to North Carolina. How yep. did these guys not lose their job? And, uh, well, in the game, nineteen fouls, including two each, and four starters in the first half were called against Kentucky, and eighteen against North Carolina. But uh, anyway. Uh, uh, Jones and Franklin repeatedly referenced Higgins and his business in the days following the games, both on KSR's radio show and website, uh, tried to basically, uh, he's filed suit. Uh, they have filed suit in return to uh, to uh, get it thrown out of court. But uh, he's a good friend of my uh, my pal, Eric Curry, who's a oh, sure. referee. Yeah. And Eric yeah. says he's a hell of a good guy. So anyway. The Sports Business Journal annually names the 50 most influent, uh, influential, not affluent, This it might apply affluent too, 50 most influential people in sports. Number one this year, Donald Trump. Uh, and I can't argue with it, for his angry, loud rhetoric that has divided the sports industry and caused massive reaction, response, and reflection on, of course, on the kneeling for the anthem thing. He is uh, number one. Adam Silver slipped from number one to number two. And uh, they also give Trump credit for his back and forth with LeVar Ball, so, uh, which uh, doesn't uh, seem like much to me. The Timberwolves and the Wild both won last night. How about that? The Wild had a 3-0 lead, frittered it away, and then somehow won in overtime, even though, what did I read, the last 12 shots of the regulars, Nate, regulation were San Jose. I guess they were hanging they on were hanging by on for their dear life. Uh, dear life. And the Timberwolves, 
gallantly, gallantly getting uh, 28 points from Carl Anthony Towns. Beat the Mavericks. Boy, we're proud of you guys. You beat the Mavericks 97-92. They trailed them and late, right? it was right? a grind. Yes, it's, it was. Uh, and Wiggins gets 10 points. He can't make a shot all of a he sudden. Was, he was bad yesterday. Were they both at home, too, yesterday? No, the Wild. Wild were in San Jose. were at home. Yeah. But this week, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, uh, they're, they're all, th- all three or both teams are at home. Six home games. Wow. Yep. They're all home games because the Wild are coming home. Uh, so anyway, uh, glorious victories for both teams is uh, well, the one team. <laughs> the Wild are now over 500 now, though. I think they're uh, 14 and 13 on the Ricey yep. uh, form. So that's that's, right. that's 27 games, and that's one-third of the season. If they get this many points, they'll make the playoffs. We'll be, I mean, if they stay at this ratio. Uh, meanwhile, the Wild, the Wolves, are the worst-looking first-place team in NBA history at 16-11. and 11. Well, And Philadelphia's going to come in here and kick their ass on Tuesday if they don't play better than they have been playing. We'll be back. A sports fantasy auction tomorrow for Courage Kenny Center. We do this every year. we got some great stuff. Starts at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, runs through 6 or 7. Maybe. Through the 5 o'clock hour through on the, the ride with the Royce, baby. Through the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, tune in tomorrow, and uh, you can help us raise money for Courage Kenny. Uh, do you have a daily complaint, sir? Oh, yes, gentlemen, I do. Mm-hmm. This from Draft Express on Twitter. LiAngelo and LaMelo Ball are in serious discussions to sign professional basketball deals with Lithuanian club <laughs> Prienu Vyatautis. Oh, okay. Club plans to decide in the next four, 24 to 48 hours whether to finalize an agreement with the two American teenagers. The Ball brothers are not expected to see major playing time for Prienu Vyatautis mm. in the Lithuanian League, but him, could boys. be afforded an opportunity to develop in the Baltic League where the stakes are much lower. Wow. Okay. Well, way to go, LaBar. That's a great idea. Uh, what do you got there, Reeves? To quote the best sports uh, Twitter handle around the sports pickle, <clears throat> do you think that Jeter will give Marlins fans a gift bag now that he's done screwing them? <laughs> yes. What are they doing? I saw that one uh, earlier on Twitter from people, too. I, I don't know what he's doing, but uh, Andrew Marchand has a really good piece on ESPN.com about how how they they now in forty eight hours they hate Derek Jeter as much as they hated uh, Loria beforehand. Well, and they're going to hit seven hundred home runs as a team. The Yankees are. My God, mm-hmm. what's your daily complaint? Well, sir? my daily complaint is that the uh, Spink Award will be announced tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm one of the three candidates, and if I lose, I know how bad it'll be. What a disappointment it'll be for Gopher holders. So I'm. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm just worried about the Gopher holders uh, being saddened if 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 the result uh, comes out in favor of two of my friends, either Sheldon Ocker or uh, Jim Reeve. But uh, you know, I, I you know we can we'll, we can all be sad together if it uh, doesn't work out the way we hope. Gopher holders. All right, tomorrow talk to you. Fantasy auction.